When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, Celtics fans, and welcome to Celtics Beat. I'm Rich Conti, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. My co-host today is Larry H. Russell, and a bit later we'll be bringing in our guest, Chad Finn of the Boston Globe. Before we jump in, I want to remind folks of the Celtics Beat ticket giveaway. We're extending the contest October 25th. You can win a free pair of Celtics tickets to any home game in the 2015 season. To enter, simply subscribe to Celtics Beat Podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and you'll be entered into a raffle to win the pair of seats to any home game. Well, Larry, Monday is media day in the official start of training camp. There was a lot of activity this summer, but not quite the fireworks that folks were hoping for. The big storyline that's still hanging out there is Rondo and his future with the Celtics. It looks like the Celtics will head into the season with their all-star point guard as part of the roster. And recently, both owner Wick Grossbeck and GM Danny Ainge gave Rondo a bit of a vote of confidence in the media. How meaningful do you think their comments were in relation to how kind of this plays out? I think... I don't know about meaningful. I just think that they were genuine and legitimate because I always feel that Danny Ainge and Rick Grossbeck have actually been fairly honest guys with the media. They don't, I mean, do they, they play poker to an extent, but they don't blatantly lie to the fans and the media's faces like some other executives and owner and ownerships do. So I, I, I fully believe in what they do. It's funny, though, that we have media day coming up. The Celtics had their sort of first pre-media day at a charity golf outing at Dedham Country Club. I mean, they had the press conference mm-hmm. there and the Celtics bulletin board. It's like, geez, are you trying to raise money for a charity at a golf outing? Or here we go again. It's But it is interesting how this is all we're talking about, right, going into this season. It's just Rondo, Rondo, Rondo. Yeah, it's funny, Ainge, uh, for a guy who's a relatively straight shooter, you know, I think he does sometimes play his cards close to the vest. I think he is a bit of a a poker player. But generally in dealing with the media, he has a way of not saying a lot um, while still, I think, kind of being relatively genuine and sincere. You know, when he says the team is keeping their option open or when he says the team would like to keep Rondo – you know that that's I believe that's the God's honest truth. The the challenge is I don't think the media and fans are accustomed to kind of such simplicity in 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 what he's saying, and it it just gives so much wiggle room for people to read all kinds of subtext and hidden meanings into what he's saying. When honestly, I think he's just kind of being out there at face value, and if he feels like he can't say something. He's not, you know, in, in, in that it may come back and, and, you know, hurt the Celtics' interest. He's not going to say it just to, you know, to, to, to say things as some other general managers do. I think, you know, Daryl Morey's got the, the reputation as, you know, being the smartest guy in the room. And I think he feels some pressure to live up to that. And I think that kind of puts him in some difficult positions sometimes uh, where, you know, he says things to media, the media and they, they kind of come back to bite him. But Angel's just kind of, you know, straightforward. He, he tells you what he can tell you and he doesn't tell you any more and he doesn't tell you any less. And the media and fans just seem to love to take it and just just run with it. And, and you know, as it relates to Rondo, if you just kind of, Take both Grossbeck and Ainge's words at face value. They're not saying a lot, and what they're saying is common sense. But that the reality is that's the truth right now, right? You know, until and and unless somebody comes up with an offer that is in the best interest of the Celtics that involves trading Rondo, what what is there really for Ainge to 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 respond to? I think fans get a little bit too wrapped up in this idea of oh, well, the team's trying to move somebody, and and you know almost the idea that a trade is somehow punishment for a player disappointing us. And I, I you know I'm pretty confident that's not the way it works in real life, right? At the end of the day, Ainge's job is to look out for the both short term and long term interests of the Celtics, and that's the entirety of the calculus that he goes through when. And weighing you know what to do in any situation and I think that's how it's going to play out with Rondo certainly if someone decides 
that they really need Rondo as as that missing piece to get them over the hump, and they match up with the Celtics' needs and can make an offer that Ainge feels improves the team for the long run, I think you know he'll pull the trigger and make the deal. But short of that, I think folks way overblow this idea of, well, you have to trade him now or he can just walk away and you get nothing. Well, no, you don't get anything. You don't get nothing. You get a, a season of Rajon Rondo. You get a season of a guy who's been there at the championship level and been the best player on the court for an NBA final series in 2010. He's been the best player on the court in a series, at least for a game or two, with with LeBron James, the reigning MVP. And having that around other players is valuable. Those players, that helps their development. And so you get that. And what you also get is an opportunity between now and when his contract situation has to get resolved, that, that you get that opportunity to bring in, use him as a lure to bring in another impact player. And that, to me, outweighs, you know, getting a Ben McLemore from, from Sacramento. I think it, it far outweighs that. And it goes back to when we had Rich Gotham on the show here a few weeks ago, and he, he was very straightforward himself. And the fact that the Celtics try to keep as many options open as they can, and that's how a good business does does things. And having, I guess, Rondo play out this season, or maybe not play out the season, but starting camp is just the best option for the team and gives the team more forks on the road to choose from. Because right now, as you said, the, the deal, or I guess what it was, Ben McLemore and some scraps, I think that's all that there was. There might have been more, or there might have been whatever that Houston was offering, which I was is almost next to nothing at this point. But Ainge just mentioned it himself. You knew just mentioned it. There's there's the the options at the end of the at the end of the line are better if they this team just sort of holds on to Rondo. Hopefully that he plays a little better this year, because a even you're not going to lose him for nothing. Likely the teams that are interested in him are the Knicks, and if you lose Rondo, it'll be a sign and trade. So you're not going to get completely you know nothing in return. And there's also always the chance that you can resign him, and there's still the chance that, and there's also the other chance. I'm going, you know, sort of stuttering here, but there's also the other chance that he starts off this season guns a blazing, impresses some other team, and you get a far better package than what was willing to return at this time, you know, a few weeks ago or whatever that was that was on the table. So, sellers are playing it right; they're keeping their options open. We've discussed them in the media. They've always that you. It's they. They're not a team where you have to read between the lines. They've said it. Rich Gotham said it to me personally. It's about keeping the options open and, and whatnot and making that quote-unquote transformative trade. You said it outright. And whether that Rondo trade is that transformative trade, whether trading guys like Sullinger and Olenek and packaging for picks for you know Superstar X is that transformative trade, they've said they're willing to do it. And, and then them telling us, that Rondo is going to be here to start the year or that they have every intention to keep him when he's a free agent, I think they're being truthful and honest with that to the media. And I think people are just you know, going crazy in terms of just overlooking that. Yeah, I think some of it is a dearth of other stories, right? You need something to fill that vacuum. But I think something that folks are you know, maybe not appreciating is the fact that Ainge knows, right? If you trade Rondo and unless you get a player that you think can be as good or better than him relatively soon, you've now signed yourself up for a whole whole long stretch of uncertainty, right? Where now you're now you're really just counting on, you know, something to develop kind of out of nothing, right? Because you need those players, right? Those all-star caliber players to build a championship squad around. I don't think Rondo is the best player on a championship team unless he takes some kind of leap this year. Uh, you know, he would need to significantly improve his outside shooting. He would need to go back to being the defensive menace that we know he's capable of being. Um, and, you know, I don't, I, I'm not counting on that happening, but I think he can absolutely be a second or especially a third best player on a championship caliber team and so that's one of those pieces that without that 
you're really just kind of, you know, out there fishing and, and just hoping for, as you said, you know, for, for the stars to align and things to, to kind of come together. And I think Ainge knows that. And I think that's a big part of plays into the idea that he's worth more to the Celtics than he is to other teams. Now that may change, as you said, he may come on gangbusters and some team that may, may, you know, decide, you know, they need to have him. But even then, I think Ainge needs to get some player that he thinks is capable of being like that. That's why I think, and and my understanding is is this may have been something that was discussed, and it was something that Houston wasn't willing to pull the trigger on at the time. And of course, this the ship is sailed. But I think the one deal that would have intrigued Ainge and very well might have actually been been discussed would would have been a deal with Houston um, last off season or uh, during the season that that would return uh, Omer Ashik and Chandler Parsons and maybe a couple of other pieces to the Celtics in exchange for Rondo. I think that would have been really tempting for Ainge because we know he covets a chic um, and we you know can surmise that Parsons might fit that profile of a player that maybe isn't at Rondo's caliber yet but is young enough that you could easily see him reaching that or even exceeding that in the relatively short term. And so I think if there is going to be a deal to make, deal to make even honestly, once the, the clock sticks, starts ticking down toward the offseason, that I think it's going to be that type of deal where your age feels like he gets a player that he knows can be one of his three or four best players on a, on a contending team. Otherwise, you know, I, I think they really look very hard at bringing Rondo back if there's there's any possibility at all. So, yeah, would it be something a little more interesting than trading Keith Bogans to Cleveland for three unguaranteed contracts, correct? <laughs> that, would, that would be, I think it's going to have to be a bigger deal than that. I think that's safe to say, or really a bigger deal than anything we've we've seen this summer, right? You know, I think there's been a lot of activity, but it's kind of been tre- treading water, maintaining or creating flexibility and gathering some more assets, hopefully for, like you said, that that transformative deal. All right, well, you know, I, I think you know, once Media Day rolls around on Monday, I think folks can expect really the focus to be on what this team as constructed can be. And it should be interesting to see kind of, you know, now that we know, relatively speaking, what the team is going to look like going to this season, how they're treated by the media. You know, they've they've been pretty fortunate in in the past year or so, despite the 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 tough season that you know folks have kind of known that that they need to be patient and it'd be interesting to me Larry to see kind of how long that continues. I'm very interested myself. It's something that I've always followed. I think that the general the, the actual beat media for the team will always be fair because they have professionals covering this team. We're talking guys like Steve Pet. We're talking guys like Baxter Holmes. Those guys are going to do what they do because they have integrity. But maybe in terms of just that general, that sports media, the drive time shows, the, the late night talk shows or the evening talk shows, will they get on the Celtics a little bit more this year where they start, you know, getting everyone riled up, calling player X a bum or Jared Sollinger a fat slobo? And, you know, we, we say this is analysis, but this is eventually what it boils down to at times. Now, will it happen this year? I'm interested. We're going to be bringing on a guy who would probably know a little bit about it, Chad Finn. He's been covering the Boston media since 2004, been following Chad almost all the time since then. We're going all the way back to the, the original Boston Sports Media Watch website. I think Bruce Allen, he was the first one to introduce me to Chad. Chad's been great with the media. He's been on them. So it'll be interesting to see what Chad has to say about the media, not just the media, but what about the general fan interest? Remember, they had they had great capacity last year. They did well TV ratings-wise when you consider how poor the team was and when you consider that there's just so much more on TV here in Boston in terms of sports. You, you can talk about the Celtics. They're pretty much competing with the Bruins, maybe not every night, but every other night. Still pretty good ratings, but will this continue this year when the team's expected to struggle again? Our guest today on Celtic Speed is Chad Finn of the Boston Globe. Chad, of course, covers all of the professional sports in Boston, but he always has some unique insights into the Celtics. Our interview with Chad is brought to you by the Baseline Podcast. Hosted by Cal Lee and Dime Magazine's Warren Shaw, the Baseline delves into the daily storylines that shape the NBA. That's the Baseline, released every Monday on iTunes and Stitcher, powered by CLNS Radio. Hey, Chad, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. I'm glad to be on with you. 
Yeah, let's start off by talking about fan support for the Celtics. Last season, the Celtics were able to maintain interest. Fans knew a dip was coming and stuck with the team, for the most part, through a tough season. The Garden was near capacity on most nights, and the team had the ninth highest TV ratings in the league. Now that the summer fireworks failed to materialize and we're heading into year two of the rebuild and most likely another tough season, do you think the fans will continue to support the team the way they have, or will they start to get impatient? Uh, TV-wise, I would expect it to go down again. I think that's the expectation if you talk to Celtics management, uh, Rich Gotham, and uh, people who are, have a foot in the interest beyond the basketball part of it. Uh, I think they recognize that, that this isn't exactly a star-studded roster right now, that they realize fans will recognize that. And the diehards will be there. The people who love basketball will be there, who want to see Marcus Smart, who want to see what Jared Sollinger develops into, who want to see what happens with Rajon Rondo this year. They're, they're always going to uh, uh, tune in. But the, the fans who really don't care all that much if, uh, if the team isn't highly competitive will, will slip away. And I think that probably dips again based on what our expectations are this season. Uh, in terms of interest at uh, TD Garden, I, uh, my opinion has always been that the Celtics crowd is the best crowd of the four major sports teams in Boston Five, if you want to count the revolution, I'll leave that up to you. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tremendously fun atmosphere. It seems to be a younger crowd. Uh, maybe it's the people being involved with the Jumbotron and all the bells and whistles that come with an NBA game now. But I, I tend to think there will still be a fan interest at the Garden. It's, uh, in my opinion, it's, uh, it's the best atmosphere in Boston sports in terms of uh, just going there and having a good time. It's uh, turned younger, younger demographically. You mentioned sort of when you were talking about the television ratings, you mentioned sort of the general fans sort of in Boston. Even though the Celtics did have, I guess, good numbers television-wise, you know, they did have the ninth highest rated TV ratings in the league last year. They did have something like 98% capacity. They're still a distant fourth in terms of popularity here in Boston. And yes, that's kind of the case because the team is awful and will be awful next year, but that sort of is the general case regardless unless the Celtics have like a great team. Do you think the NBA product will ever appeal to the Boston market and culture like it did in the 1980s or like the NFL or baseball and even the NHL can now? Uh, are you referencing that uh, poll that came out a couple weeks ago? Uh, I don't know if you even know what I'm talking about. But there, was a, there was a media poll where the Celtics came in. I can't remember who did it. The Celtics came in a pretty distant sport. Uh, obviously, the number one reason for that is they're just not very good right now. The expectations aren't high. Uh, the Bruins had the best record, most points in the league last year, and it have been a little bit disappointing. But they, they looked like a cup contender. Patriots always in the mix. The Red Sox were coming off a year in which they won the World Series. Uh, so the Celtics were really at a disadvantage at this point in time in terms of uh, popularity. Um, and uh, the other thing I think is uh, the uh, the bar was just so ridiculously high in the 80s. Uh, what Larry Bird and Mikhail and Parrish and DJ and that crew did, uh, from particularly in 85, 86, it's sort of the pinnacle of what basketball can be. And it's so vivid in fans' minds that uh, it's almost impossible to match. You have a season every now and then where uh, the first year Garnett and, and uh, Pierce and Ray Allen and were together and Rondo developed and Perk developed and it all kind of came together and was pretty magical and ended with that banner. Uh, those things are few and far between. And the, uh, the, because of what Bird did and because of, of how appealing that team, particular team was, I think the standard is set really, really high. And conversely, that leads to uh, when you have a mediocre team and you have a good team and you have a team that uh, will probably be something less than both of those two things this year. It tends to lose uh, each to lose fan interest a little bit. I think that's going to happen to the Patriots after Brady is gone and Belichick are gone. Where you might have a team that uh, goes nine and seven or ten and six, but the interest just isn't as high because the, the 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 bar was set so high for that decade and a half when uh, those two were here. Uh, I, I really believe some of that is uh, set by the standard of the past. And Chad, what role do you think the relationships that Danny Ainge and Wick Grosbeck have with the media, you know, they're very forthcoming, especially in contrast with someone like Belichick. Do you think that helps the Celtics maintain some support, some support despite the tough times? 
Uh, with each guy. We can't help himself. As you guys know, he has to mention that they're going to be fireworks in the summer. Uh, and sometimes it ends up with him eating words or having him say, what is he doing to us? Um, but he, he's a guy who uh, owns the team, but uh, really cares like a fan. And sometimes that leads to him saying things uh, maybe with more candor that, than even he would like to reveal. Uh, with Ainge, it's it's interesting because he's a really great guy to talk to about basketball and a uh, really engaging guy. You hear him on the radio. You see him in interviews. He, he's, uh, he's, he's it, it's, it's always worthwhile. But the thing is, when it comes to something that has to do with the Celtics' plans, their immediate plans, um, their plans down the road, anything that could really have a significant effect on the roster and the future of the team. He has a great poker face, and sometimes uh, he'll even bluff. And that leads to uh, maybe a story getting out there where he says, uh, I'm not trading so-and-so, uh, and then so-and-so is gone two months later, and he can say it that uh, once it happens. Well, at that point in time, we weren't planning on trading him, you know, that sort of thing. I think we're going through it a little bit to some degree right now with Rajon Rondo where, uh, they're doing what they need to do and saying what they need to say to, to make Rondo feel comfortable about his situation. But you know that uh, if the opportunity comes up where he gets a deal that he likes and feels like he's getting uh, 110% back on uh, a return on Rondo, he's going to make it. But he's not going to come out and say that right now because it's counterproductive to uh, what the team needs at this uh, point in time. But uh, I think both guys, you have to appreciate their love of basketball and it shines through, and then in which case sometimes uh, that that sort of uh, leads to him saying things maybe he shouldn't, things we like to hear, things we want to hear, uh, but maybe things that are cause a little bit of a, tra- a little bit of a problem in the front office. And Ainge, he's just a uh, incredibly hyper competitive, savvy guy who's uh, turning. Turning over every rock, turning over every leaf, whatever it is in nature that you got to turn over uh, to, to help the Celtics to find this, uh, what the Celtics need. And uh, along the way, sometimes maybe it's not going to be entirely truthful uh, if it doesn't benefit them. But it is pretty interesting, I think, that the media it doesn't seem to be as harsh on Danny Ainge or some of these uh, Celtics management as they are as they can be on the Patriots. I mean, you look at the Patriots, yeah. they're 2-1. and one. And it's like you think they're 0-3 and they've lost every game by 40 points. And I was just ready to ask. Now, Now that was just you know this past year, and everyone just sort of gave the Celtics that free pass last year. And we were talking about fan interest. There was certainly a grace period and then some for Brad Stevens, and then I guess even for, Brad, for Danny Ainge. How long do you think now we've talked about the grace period for fan interest? What about the grace period in terms of these media personalities in terms of how they cover the Celtics? Uh, you got to take it on a case by case basis, but uh, and what the particular media person is trying to do, what they're uh, whether they're one of those screamers who just wants the attention, or whether the people who take more of a nuanced look at the NBA and um, how the Celtics go about building their team, like winning that banner and uh, nearly winning uh, one or two more, uh, bought butting some leeway. I mean, he's won a championship more recently than the Patriots have, which is. Uh, uh, kind of dawns on you that it's been almost a decade here since the Patriots won one, yet they're always still in the mix. The Celtics, uh, they they got that one in 07 They almost got another one after that, and that, uh, they get them some rope. The other thing is, I think if you're a real basketball fan, if you're somebody uh, who does their job on this beat and understands how the NBA operates, you realize that it's virtually impossible to, to build a, a contending team from scratch in the NBA. You need luck. You need to stink for a while, or you need to make a trade where you get a superstar caliber player back for uh, uh, pieces. Uh, uh, you need circumstances to line up, like they did with Garnett with Minnesota, and uh, to a lesser degree, Ray Allen with the Sonics. And uh, that's really hard. That's a difficult thing to count on. If you t- you look at the big picture of all the things Danny Ainge has done to try to make the Celtics relevant and a winning team. He, I think most of the thing, most of, uh, if you put a positive and negative side of the ledger, most is going to be on the positive side. There's just this recognition that it's so damn hard in the NBA to, uh, to, tr- to revitalize the team when you're dealing with the cap and when you're dealing with uh, the difficulties of getting star players to move. You, you need a lot of luck and you need a lot of savvy. I don't know that Ainge has had a lot of luck, but he has had a lot of savvy. 
Yeah, that's a great point about how difficult it is to build a championship caliber team in the NBA and how I think fans sometimes underestimate that. I mean, look at what happened in Miami. Things couldn't have fell more perfectly for them four years ago or five years ago. And, you know, they did get a nice, sustained four-year run out of it, won two championships, and now they're back to square one. And it just shows, even even when things line up perfectly as they did for the Heat and they did for the Celtics in 07 and 08, it's it's really tough to maintain that. And looking down the road to next offseason and the one after, the Celtics have the opportunity to be players in the free agent marketplace, yet there's still this perception that free agents won't find Boston attractive. Do you think that this ownership group and the environment they've created here has a chance to change that perception? I think they do. Yeah, I mean, banking on history is something that they've tried before, and it, it doesn't really work. I mean, uh, you've got a generation of players that I think really respect the game. When you when you talk about guys like uh, Kevin Durant or uh, even LeBron to a degree, whoever it happens to be, they, they've made an effort to learn the history, but that's not enough to convince them to come play in a place where Larry Bird played 25 years ago or Bill Russell, you know, retired. Uh, I guess almost 50 years ago, 40, 40 yeah, what, five years ago at this point anyway. So uh, you're not going to convince guys to come here just because of the legacy of the green and white. That, that's going to be overruled by the fact that it's freezing here and you could go to Miami or some other place, but uh, with a little bit warmer weather and a little bit better uh, tax breaks. But I think, uh, I think if you do get to a situation where you have a lot of money to spend and you can outbid a warm weather team uh, who's maybe not a contender quite yet and uh, go out and get a real high caliber free agent. And that'll happen. I, I know they really haven't signed one. It's been guys like Dominique Wilkins uh, 20 years ago and I think Xavier McDaniel but after that, but really not a whole lot of other guys who are considered uh, big-name free agents. It hasn't worked out, but I think, uh, I think in a specific circumstance it could. It just needs to be a case where they really have a lot of money to spend to outbid uh, anyone who uh, anyone who wants the same player and maybe has a little bit of an appealing destination in terms of lifestyle. Well, we're talking about free agents down the road. Here, obviously, we're going to have to get to this. You know it's coming. Obviously, the inevitable Rajon Rondo question. We saw Danny Ainge over at Dedham, Dedham Country Club the other day pretty, pretty much taking an attack at Jackie McMullen when he cited credible people are making things up regarding Rondo. You can't think of it as anybody else but Jackie Mack. So you have my million-dollar question. Where is Rajon Rondo on this date one year from now? Wow, I have no idea. I really uh, – <laughs> you know what I think? I think they could have traded him to Sacramento uh, for probably something, a package that was nowhere close to what uh, a lot of us wanted. I mean, you hear Ben Macklemore. Uh, and other pieces coming back. I think it would have been uh, something considerably less than that, and certainly not with Macklemore involved. Uh, I think they did Rondo a solid in a sense and, and knew that he did not want to go there and uh, said, all right, just, just some kind of agreement. They've had significant discussions about what Rondo really wants to do, what they want to do with Rondo, uh, and I think it's why Rondo seems pretty appeased at the moment, pretty comfortable with the situation. He knows the Celtics are going to treat him in a manner that he wants to be treated one way or the other. They're not going to trade him to a place he doesn't want to go. Uh, right now, I, it's, it's so hard to judge because I think he does get traded during the season, but you can't really see that ideal fit yet. I, I know Daryl Morey's wanted him in Houston forever, but it's not a three-on-three league. You know, he can't, uh, he can't cram Howard, uh, Harden, and Rondo onto that roster and have uh, playing in the deal with Rondo in there. Uh, maybe there's a suitor that pops up because of an injury or something like that, or a team that's a surprise contender because like Rondo might put him over the top. But uh, I think uh, I, I do think he gets straight this year, but I just can't really get a sense at all right now for where it ends up being. As for the Angels' comment, I mean everybody was pretty uh, picked up on the Jackie thing uh, quickly. Uh, my my suspicion with that is that Rhonda Ainge may have told her something off the record. She was kind of BSing about it a little bit, thinking the cameras were off and. Uh, you know, uh, it got on the air and it uh, ended up online. And uh, uh, her explanation was that some intern made a mistake with that. But I think probably she let something out in confidence so it wasn't supposed to get out. And so what you saw the other day was Ainge covering his tracks a little bit. And now training camp is getting close, and it looks like we pretty much know what to expect as far as the makeup of the roster goes. If there's going to be improvement, it's going to have to be organic, players on the roster improving. When you look at this roster, who do you think are the candidates to have that kind of organic improvement and maybe even make a leap to establish starter in the league? 
Oh, geez, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it seems to be a roster of uh, guys who are very promising complementary players, but it's difficult to uh, look at a guy like Sullinger and say, this guy has a chance to be an all-star. He, he, he does so many things that you love. As, as someone who's a basketball aficionado, uh, you watch when a, a rebound hits his hands. It's his. Nobody else is getting it. He gets one claw in that thing, and he's pulling the ball down, and he's going to probably put it back in the basket, even with a guy uh, four inches taller guarding him. He's got such great great instincts, great feel for the game. You can tell he's a coach's son, but you look, and they shot what, under 48% last year. They had him shooting threes, and he was below 30% there. Uh, he's really brutal defensively. I mean, I, I haven't looked at the metrics uh, that I can remember off the top of my head from the end of last season, but just anecdotally watching him, uh, the last time I saw them in person as a fan was against the Kings and watching him uh, just late rotation, late rotation, late rotation, uh, whether he's dealing with Cousins or Jason Thompson, whoever it happened to be. And uh, that's very detrimental. And that really doesn't cut it in the NBA uh, with a guy like Brad Stevens is going to eventually emphasize that defense when he has a team he thinks is going to win. So. Uh, I love Sollinger. I love watching him play, but I don't think he ever gets to the level where he's a star caliber player. Olenek, uh, uh, I, I like Olenek. I have hope for Olenek. Uh, he's got that nice-looking shot. I think when he bulks up, he's going to be, uh, you know, be a uh, very uh, competent offensive contributor. A couple of real good games at the end of the season. Seem to be playing with more confidence. But again, you look at him and say he's probably not the cornerstone. He's just a guy who you could see being a good player when this team is eventually good again, but not someone who's really a core guy. Uh, most interesting, the, the player I want to see more than anybody this year is Marcus Smart, and, but, but that's uh, plainly obvious to me where they drafted him and the things you heard about him working out with uh, Team USA and how he was uh, uh, one of the better perimeter guards in the league. He's going to be the next big defensive star, some people are saying. I, I want to see that. Again, he's another guy who's going to have trouble putting the ball in the basket at a High percentage, he shot 30% from three last year at Oklahoma State, shot below uh, 40, what, 47% from the field, something like that. So he's going to have issues getting uh, scoring right away, finding his range, finding where he's comfortable. But uh, the athleticism is going to be really fun to watch right out of the gate. And I'm really encouraged to what he might become. But in terms of their next, the next big Celtic star, I don't think he's on the roster yet. Yeah, it's interesting with Sullinger. I think fans, you know, mostly kind of look at him as that guy that that could be, you know, that you know maybe not a superstar, but but an impact player. And I, you know, I tend to agree with your assessment. I think his ultimate role is as you know a really good fourth or fifth man on on a very good team. He's got all of those yeah. you know, kind of complementary skills. And the guy he reminds me of, and I'm going back a ways here, is uh, Paul Silas. You know, I think he's got that same type of, you know, mentality. And as you said, once he gets his hands on the rebound, uh, it's his. Silas was, of course, a better defensive player. But I think, you know, I think Sollinger has some room to grow uh, on that front. Now, you know, if everything breaks right going this upcoming season, and barring any major personnel moves, what do you think this team's ceiling is? This season, uh, probably roughly around the same number of wins they had last year. Uh, I don't know where that puts them in the lottery, but probably mid-20s again, maybe 28, 29. I, I think part of the problem is, not a problem, but they, they hired Brad Stevens a couple of years too early. They, he's such a competent coach. You saw, uh, you really saw it at the end of the year when they were better than people expected. He, he was getting uh, quality minutes at the point out of Jordan Crawford, of all people, and had them playing really hard and smart. Uh, it kind of set them back from as bad as they as bad as they needed to be. I have tremendous confidence in him as a coach, uh, but we're at a point where they really do kind of need to be bad again. And I think they'll probably win a couple of games that they should probably lose, and uh, they'll be in that uh, five, six, seven range, banking on lottery luck again. That's never really found them. You've been listening to Chad Finn of the Boston Globe, and you can follow Chad on Twitter at Globe Chad Finn. Well, thanks for joining us today, Chad. You bet, guys. Great talking to you, and uh, glad to do it anytime. I'm looking looking forward to watching this team this season, even though uh, Banner 18 probably isn't coming this time around. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> Eventually, so, we, right. should, we should be alive by then. Well, they got the right people in place, I, I think. Don't you guys? I mean, Ainge and uh, Stevens is a pretty good tandem. They just got to get the right players. As you mentioned, it's, it's going to be all luck. Thanks for joining us, Chad. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Take care. 
Yeah, you know, while I tend to agree with Chad on, you know, the idea that Celtics have the, at least the, the, the ownership and the management structure in place, I don't know. I'm not a big believer in the, you know, well, we just got to get lucky or we got to get, we got to be bad. You know, ultimately, I think the approach that they're taking is, you know, and Ainge has said it a bunch of times, Rich Gotham said it, Wick has said it, they're, they're doing a good job of preserving flexibility and they're going to have a ton of cap space uh, regardless of what happens with Rondo in the next offseason and certainly the one after that and I think you know they can make some things happen really quickly and that's why you know I've been saying for a while it doesn't make sense to trade Rondo at least for a 60 70 cents on the dollar trade which a you know Sacramento deal that Chad reference would have been if they do get that killer offer I can see them making it but you know the pieces are there I don't think there's any reason to rush or panic or start you know moaning about not losing enough games so we'll just see how it plays out over the course of this year into next off season but yeah it's interesting the you know you mentioned the media coverage of the team and how you know, it's for the most part been pretty favorable, particularly in contrast with the uh, Patriots. And as you said, it always seems like they're in the midst of a 10-game losing streak, especially if you read somebody like Ron Borges. But the, the Celtics have, have kind of kept the hearts and minds of the fans and certainly the media for for some part. I mean, what do you think, Larry? Do you think that runs out, that, that currency kind of uh, all gets spent with another losing season? Well, it's interesting that because we asked a few questions regarding it, and I asked about how general how the general fan seems to put the NBA aside, especially here in Boston. It just never really has caught on to the general fan, especially since Bird retired. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I know where it's like where they say, "Oh, I haven't watched an NBA game in 25 years." And sure enough, 25 years is about or 20 years has been Larry Bird pretty much retired. And even when the team was doing very well with Garnett. The ratings really only came, came the the ratings were really only around come playoff time. And if you compare the Game Seven ratings to the Bruins Stanley Cup in I believe 2011 against Vancouver to the Game Seven ratings against the with the Celtics played Los Angeles the year prior, the Bruins blew them out of the water in like in terms for for ratings for that final championship game. But the media, on the other hand. Yeah, it, it's it's funny. They're generally pretty favorable in terms of covering the team. There's, they're never ripping the Celtics on a week by week basis. And I think you know, call me I guess a conspiracy theorist. I I think that has a lot to do with Danny Ainge, Wick Grosbeck, and we've interviewed Rich Gotham on this show. They're very they're very they are very media friendly, and they don't just give these cliche answers like Bill Belichick does, or it is what it is, and we got to focus on next week, and you know, or or he'll tear apart that. Uh, I think it was Christine Leahy when he was asking about like Robert Mathis and and Dwight Freeney or something like that. How you know this game doesn't count because the Colts are zero and ten, and and Belichick gave her kind of a wise answer. Ainge doesn't really do that. Grossbeck doesn't really do that. They give twenty to thirty minute interviews on exclusive interviews on late night television shows or sports radio during drive times, and they lay it all out. They're very honest. So you're not going to see guys, you know, in, you're not going to read the Ron Borges or the Nick Cafardos or going back to like Kevin Mannix when he was covering the Patriots, have all these sort of snide remarks in beat stories, not just columns, but in beat stories when their job as reporters is to cover the team fairly when you're writing beat reports. You don't see that with the Celtics. And of course, maybe you could just say that the Celtics have a lot of professional people covering the team and guys like Steeple Pet and Baxter Holmes. So, I mean, now this year, it's it's interesting. We all expect him to stink again. Everybody has 25 to 30 wins written all over it. No one's saying playoffs. No one's even saying eight seed in the Eastern Conference, which I think is doable, not because of the fact that I think the sellers are good, but it's just doable because the Eastern Conference is that bad. And any time you could maybe just scum your way to 36, 38 wins, and sometimes it's good enough. But if this team does stink again, and guys like Sullinger and Olenek really don't get that much better and James Young and Marcus Smart don't really show that much in their rookie seasons, maybe it sort of swings the other way and I mean, it, it'll, it, it's certainly interesting to watch. Yeah, I don't know that it's a conspiracy theory. I think it's just human nature. People that are more forthright and open with you and and help you do your job are people that are more likely to give you the benefit of the doubt and I think that happens. I think also... 
there's a greater percentage. I, I don't know if I would use the phrase more professional, but Chad alluded to it. You know, the, the folks that are the screamers tend to not get too deeply invested in what the Celtics are doing because there really isn't a lot of controversy. Yes, they're not very good, but they're taking a very measured approach. And so, you know, other than the Rajon Rondo situation, what's somebody like Gary Tangway going to scream about? The thing I worry about happening with another losing season, though, is if those screamers are looking for stories, right? If they, if they, if their attention isn't, the shiny object isn't attracting their attention somewhere else, they're going to look at the team and start, you know, finding angles of, of going after somebody like Brad Stevens or Danny Ainge. And the Tangways are going to get the, 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 the fans kind of riled up. And I, you know, I suppose that's a good thing in the sense that folks are engaged, they're invested in the team. But ultimately, I think it creates this negative environment that's really counterproductive to not only what the team is trying to do from a business perspective, obviously, but what they're trying to do in terms of the product on the court, right? One of the things I think the Celtics have going for them now is the perception of how the team and the city treat players. And that's gotten around the NBA. And I think a lot of it had to do with Doc Rivers before he left. But I think more of it is about the ownership group, the way they protect the players, the environment they try to create here. And that can really get compromised if you've got you know, guys like Tangway out there just getting people riled up just to get them riled up, which is pretty much his MO and why he's basically gets airtime. And, you know, if the team continues to lose, that just gives fodder to folks like that. If there's a kind of a crack in the wall for them to really kind of start chipping away. And I I think that would be a shame because, as I said, I think it would really compromise what Ainge and, and Grossbeck are trying to do, which, you know, is a plan that I believe in. As Chad said, it's hard to build a winner. I think folks who you see it all the time in social media, you know, transaction doesn't happen in the NBA, even a minor one like the other day, I believe the son signed Goran Dragic, his brother, and who knows if he's going to make the roster? You know, he's, he's, he's a guy who's got some skills and he may help the Suns, he may not. But the reaction among a segment of Celtics fans to moves like that are, oh yeah, and Ainge is sitting around doing nothing. It's, well, he's not doing nothing. He's trying to exhaust every opportunity to make the team better. But there's a, a big leap from that to making moves just to make moves and to keep fans happy that you're trying to do something. And that's a, something that Ainge really hasn't done for all the kind of Trader Danny nickname and, and moniker that he's gotten. He really is pretty measured in his approach. He's, it's, it's couldn't be more straightforward. He buys you know, low and sells high. Right. And he he's brought in a coach now that, as Chad alluded to, helps him take a guy that he's bought low on and sell high and a guy like Jordan Crawford. I mean, that was a, a tremendous situation last year when you had a guy that was really unwanted around the league. And in a short couple of months, you know, Brad Stevens was able to build the guy's value up to where he was an asset that another team wanted. And granted, the Celtics didn't get a ton for him, but they, they got some valuable a couple of second round picks out of Philadelphia. Well, I suppose it could be a first rounder if, if the 76ers defy all logic and reason and make the playoffs this year, uh, then it would turn into a first. But even a couple of second rounders, those could be used uh, to help facilitate a trade down the road or to pick up a, a complimentary player. So... I, you know, I, I'd hate to see, I'd almost like to see interest kind of, you know, maintain an even keel with the team and not get, you know, too much focus on a team as they're going through this transition period because what they really need is space and they don't need the, the screamers as, as Chad referenced them really kind of breathing down their neck and, and, and putting some unwanted attention on the team. That's true, but as you mentioned, you know, I mean, it's I'm kind of laughing on the other hand here. We're just sort of we're calling them the screamers. We know who the screamers are, and they're on TV, and they're also in print, and they also have you know funny hairstyles. But the Wick and Danny provide quote unquote the screamers with a lot of airtime. I mean, two to six on ninety eight five. Wick Rosebeck is there quite frequently, so. The guy that hosts that show isn't exactly going to be all over Wick Rosebeck because he's not going to have him. He's not going to give him thirty to forty minutes of his time in studio and then say, "Oh, Wick, get out of here! I'm going to start shredding you." Now, I mean, you mentioned you know one other name, and of course, you know what he does is 
really to be he's trying to become a YouTube clip or he's trying to become a CSNNE.com clip. You know, click this video and it's just it's almost like a stage play, which it's a little disappointing from our media. I mean, whatever happened, you know, remember, media is supposed to be the fourth watchdog of government. Now, that's for news, not sports, but it can be the same thing with sports. Now, of course, we have media personalities thinking that they're borderline WWE wrestlers, you know, grabbing a microphone and going on wild and crazy rants. I mean, it's, I don't know if did you see Rich, not to get off topic here, but the one that made me sick to my stomach was watching Chris Carter rant away on Adrian Peterson about, you know, and, and he brought up his Christian background and, you know, his, you know, his mother and everything. And I'm just sitting there saying to myself, like, listen, I don't care how bad of a person Adrian Peterson is. The fact that Chris Carter is invoking God and I'm a Christian and this is the way to do it. It's making me sick considering that Chris Carter is like one of the most belligerent people on the earth and is a member at Adios Country Club where they don't allow women anywhere near the property and he get behave like a complete buffoon, but then he goes on air and he, you know, plays the role of, you know, priest giving a sermon on a Sunday afternoon on my, you know, Sunday telecast. It's disgusting. But back, you know, to, you know, talking about the Celtics, I think that you're right. You sort of nailed on the head. The Celtics just sort of go about their business. Unfortunately, go about their businesses. Long losing streaks. Little controversy when there is. It's like that thing with Rondo last year, not going to what was it, Sacramento, or going to a birthday party, and that gave a lot of you know those guys ample opportunity to just you know you know get on their soapbox and you know make a complete you know show out of themselves. But but that I think that's sort of the case with the Celtics is there's really just not much to talk about, and I think that's a good thing. Am I correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, they, as I said, they need that breathing room, that space to develop and and kind of build, rebuild that winning culture. And it's tough to do that when there's that you know kind of shrill. I don't even know how to describe it other than just noise uh, around surrounding the team. And you know, listen, you know, there's times when players and coaches and <laughs> general managers and presidents and owners do things that don't help their cause and draws unwanted attention to themselves. But heck, you know, that's part of you know the life under the microscope, and that that's going to happen. But for the most part, I think they try to run a relatively clean ship. I mean, <laughs> you look around the league and you look at some of the situations that play players are getting themselves into and then you look at all the heat that rondo takes for what staying behind in los angeles when he was not going to play to go to a family birthday party and granted it was a poor decision on his part but come on a little perspective people you know he's not greg monroe getting arrested for dui and wetting himself as as part of during the uh when he was booked uh for for the dui and so, you know, the, the Celtics try to maintain a pretty clean ship. But as you said, you know, give them any ammunition and, you know, the folks like Tangway are just going to gonna run with it. And as you said, it's, it's, it's their slant on what their role in the media is. And, you know, it's not really for me to argue with it other than as a fan, as somebody who follows the team, as somebody who's got a you know, pretty deep in investment in the team. I don't find it interesting. I find it noise. I find it distracting. But... You know, uh, you know, maybe I'm not representative of, of the casual fan out there. And, you know, the, the, the challenge I really have with it is, you know, when you talk about media, there's a, a sense of wanting or, or responsibility for being objective. And I know that's different for columnists. They're paid to give an opinion. And that's, that's you know, there are some ones who've been able to do that really well, guys like Bob Ryan and, and Jackie Mack in the past. But, you know, there's another meaning to the word objective. And, and it has to do with not making yourself the story, not creating the story, not putting yourself into situations that then you report on. And I, I think, you know, there are some people that cross that line. I mean, for me, Shaughnessy was was the, I think maybe the one who kind of originated that, at least in, in Boston, you know, with his, you know, um, just kind of eagerness in, in inserting himself into the Manny Ramirez story or other stories in, involving the Red Sox and just kind of making himself part of that that whole dynamic i mean 
and and you know drawing the ire of players sometimes and 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 you know I'm sure loving it uh, you know while I'm sure uh, he maybe felt threatened at times by Carl Everett I, I don't think he ultimately regrets the curly haired boyfriend uh, comment because it, it brought a lot of attention to his career and probably helped him in some ways so it's you know it, it's not my cup of tea as as somebody who follows the teams but heck that's kind of you know part of the way the 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 media has become or part of what the media has become in kind of a hey we got to grab your attention as quickly as possible uh you know entertainment environment and you know not only that but coverage of these teams is very important and i think that i think these boston teams especially you know the patriots where they just ignore the noise completely and they do what they want to do you look down in new york it's like the media. It's like the New York Post sometimes runs these teams. I mean, it's. I don't want to say that the decisions the New York Jets or the New York Knicks or the Yankees make is based on getting on the back page of the Post. But you're completely lying to yourself if you don't think the back page of the Post is that much influence on personnel decisions. It's it's incredible down there how much they. Those teams and those front offices and those ownership groups are obsessed with, quote-unquote, making a splash just for the sake of making a splash. I mean, look at Isaiah Thomas back when he was running the Knicks. So really, really James Dolan with his teams were just you know loading up on these stars, just even they're well past their primes with the Rangers and the Knicks, both those teams. I think that when you look at the Celtics and the Patriots, the Celtics are very forthcoming and they're very friendly with the media, but they don't let the media dictate or not really dictate, but they don't let the media, I think, influence their decisions in any ways. Same, obviously, with the Patriots. I really can't say I think that with the with the Red Sox. I think the Red Sox are very media conscious, very fan conscious, and they're. I mean, they they've made moves where it's you know. And I'm not the biggest baseball observer, but I mean, you could tell the Celtics. It's you know. We have our way. I mean, they're very analytical in their decisions, and obviously, we all know how the Patriots do it, but. You know, with this Boston media the way it is, is maybe it isn't as is as intense as New York. I think you know, giving you got to give guys like Danny Ainge a lot of credit for you know, as Chad said, turning over every rock and turning over every stone to try to improve the team, his and the the immediate peoples around him in terms of their decisions their way. Yeah, I think for the most part. In Boston, we're extremely fortunate with the ownership groups that we have. Uh, I know. You know, heck, I know, you know, Jeremy Jacobs uh, wasn't uh, on the Christmas list of many Bruins fans for a long time. But now that they've changed the economic model of the NHL, you know, he's he's invested in the team and, and kind of stayed out of the, the media and let, you know, the the, the coach and general manager and president um, run the team and, and do that very successfully. You know, the, the, the Patriots, of course, Kraft is, you know, not only, I think, a very effective owner. I think he has a great relationship with the media. And he's, you know, obviously one of the you know, three or four most influential owners in the NFL. Uh, you know, for all the, the guff that the Red Sox ownership group takes, uh, and I think they can be extremely media conscious, but I don't think they really let the media really and the, and the fan perception affect their decision making all that much. And, and in a lot of ways, they kind of are willing to, to bucket. I mean, you look at what uh, you know they've gone through recently with John Lester and they've got a program, right? And, and that has to do with, you know, saying, hey, we do have a lot of money to spend, but we're still going to spend it wisely. That's the key to success. And they've got parameters around what spending it wisely means. And they're, you know, very infrequently going to vary for those. And, you know, of course, Wick and the rest of the Celtics ownership group, I think, has proven that they're willing to invest in this team. And as fans, well, you know, what more can you really ask for? At the end of the day, it's having ownership groups that are committed to building a winning team and willing to let, willing to hire the right people and let them do their jobs. And that, as you point out, isn't true in, in other cities or aren't as fortunate where, you know, you either have in New York where, you know, there's, I guess, a degree of incompetence and over being overly sensitive to the media, certainly when we when we talk about the Knicks, um, you know, and then you got the, the other extreme where you've got ownership groups that are, are extremely uh, engaged and committed and maybe to a fault and that they don't know how to let the the people that they've hired to do the job actually run the team. So it's, you know, I think we're, we're, we're lucky here in Boston. And I think part of it, too, with the, with the fan 
support of the team is it's almost unfair to judge fan support across the different professional sports in Boston because the dynamics, the relationships that the fans have with those teams and and more so with the sports is very, very different, right? You give Boston any kind of decent hockey team, and as you pointed out earlier, the city is going to support them to an incredible degree. Because why? For for all the, the talk about Fenway being the Lyric Little Band box and, and how Boston is a baseball town. No, Boston's a Red Sox town. Boston's a hockey town. Hockey is the sport that you get indoctrinated to first when you grow up as a child in the Boston area. And that really shows if the team is at all successful Fans are gonna fans are gonna just show up in droves and are gonna you know support them through through you know um, in, in in a tremendous way. And Boston sports fans have a very different relationship with basketball. Again, I don't know how typical or representative my experience is, but growing up, I didn't actually play any kind of basketball until I was nine or ten, right? And then I fell in love with it. But it's it's not a sport that you kind of grow up and get indoctrinated with as a child. And so I think when there's compelling personalities in a great team, you know, as there was in the 80s, fans supported them. Um, but, you know, absent of that, there isn't that deep kind of intuitive emotional connection that fans have with the sport. And I think that plays a huge role in how ultimately the professional teams are supported. So, all right, Larry, I guess it's that time. It's time for Around the NBA in Five. Are you ready? As always, Rich, I guess. All right, well, let's do it. Big news, I guess, recently was Eric Bledsoe got a max contract with the Suns, $70 million over five years. Good deal, and uh, what do you think the impact on Rondo is? I think it, I think it is a good deal. I, I'm not sure why Phoenix was so wary of giving Eric Bledsoe a max contract. I thought last year he proved he's a borderline all-star. This is a guy who's gotten significantly better almost every single year he's come into the league he came out of the league he came into the league as a freshman from Kentucky and whenever he was given a chance with the Clippers he produced and once he was given full playing time for the Suns he blossomed he became a borderline star speaking of Ronda we'll get to that in a second I wrote uh, months ago I think February of 2013 that I wanted the Celtics to trade Garnett for Eric Bledsoe and this is before the whole Doc Rivers thing that came about later that summer i've always been a eric bledsoe fan impact on rondo first off eric bledsoe's a better player than rajon rondo he's what? younger than rajon rondo he's healthier than rajon rondo but at the same time he's in the same ballpark so now there's no there's no reason why boston can't offer rondo uh, this the max contract if bledsoe got it himself Bledsoe's younger. He's had two major knee surgeries, and Rondo's had the one, so I don't know that he's healthier, and he's he's never proven he's a better player than Rondo. So I, I can say I, I can say, well, no, I think you, well, last year he was better than Rondo last year, but Rondo's uh, best year far surpasses anything that Bledsoe's done. You know, I, I think Phoenix kind of had to make the deal, and I don't think it's going to be a bad deal, particularly when the salary cap uh, gets that bump up, but uh, the five years worries me. You know, for a guy that's had, like I said, the two knee injuries already and really hasn't proven over you know except for one season i don't think he's actually played over 2,000 minutes in a season so i guess we'll wait and see but i think there's some question marks with that deal where stats at him when you need him but i believe bledsoe's per last year was higher than anything rondo ever did but speaking of high per's the king of high per's lebron james he actually admitted that there would have been a greater chance that he would have signed with the Heat had they three-peated. I always thought it would have been a lock that he, that he would have re-signed with Miami. What, what say you? I don't know. You're like, what coming out of this guy's mouth is genuine versus what is media spin? It's at this point, it's hard to really separate the two. You know, I think if the the Heat you know, won the championship, certainly you know, there's always that bring back the band mentality. But on the flip side, you know, you could look at it as what else does he have to prove? That just cements his, you know what he accomplished in Miami and and frees him up to go back to Cleveland. I think LeBron just likes to tell people what they want to hear. I, I I don't know how to follow that up. I you know I know that's that's pretty much how you say it, what you think about LeBron James. I think he always had Cleveland on his mind. 
what it would have been tougher for him to leave Miami. How do you leave a team that wins three championships in a row? But when Miami sort of got waxed at the way they did, and then everything fell into place with Cleveland when they won the lottery, and they that enabled them to make the trade, for, eventually make that trade for Kevin Love. It just sort of the stars aligned for LeBron, just as just the stars aligned for LeBron four years ago when Bosch and and uh, Wade were both free agents in their prime. Darko Milicic officially retired from basketball this week. Darko, we hardly knew you, especially here in Boston. Was he the worst pick of the last 25 years? I guess you would have to say so because it was such a good draft. The other one that sort of jumps right at you is Michael Olawakandi with the number one overall pick in that 1998 NBA draft. Yes, I mean, when you look at the talent that surrounded Darko, he was sandwiched between LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony. Then they were followed by Bosch. Dwayne Wade, many others. I I can't imagine that there was a worse pick. I think in the 96 draft, uh, Warriors, where they picked Todd Fuller over guys like Kobe Bryant and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then I think right back in the whole 1986 draft, we all know that was a mess. As yep. we as people, Celtics fans, they know, although that's, I guess it's longer than 25 years ago now. But if, if he's not the worst pick in the last 25 years, he's in the top three, I'd say. Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I think when you look at everything, like you said, you know, with with the other options that were available at that pick, you know, it's hard to, to you know complain too much about Ola Wakandi when the alternative was Mike Bibby. Um, but the other guy that jumps to my mind, and and you know, I might consider him neck and neck with Darko because Darko at least you know stuck around the league for a while, even though he never made an impact. But the guy I'm thinking of is Nikolai Skitsavili, uh, drafted uh, number five overall by Denver. <laughs> And for that high of a pick, that I think he was out of the league in, within two years, I believe. So uh, he he would get my vote. All right. Well, that'll do it for around the NBA in five, and that'll do it for this week's episode of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz, Astra Bex, and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio and Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guest, Chad Finn of the Boston Globe, for our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, Larry H. Russell. I'm Rich Conti. See you next Saturday with special guest Sean Devaney of Sporting News for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.